Hello and welcome to the Money Next podcast. You're tuned in to the Blockchain Summit series. The Blockchain Summit is a two-day live program discussing the impact of blockchain and cryptocurrencies on financial services over four panel discussions with 30 industry-leading speakers. This session will specifically discuss how is blockchain revolutionizing financial services, touching upon topics like the tangible impacts of blockchain, scaling up, and where we'll be in five to 10 years. So I'll pass you over to our event director, Mark Johnston, who will introduce you to our panel. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Blockchain Summit. My name is Mark Johnston, and I'm your host for the next 45 minutes. Now, today's discussion marks the first panel of four over the next two days. This one, we're talking about how is blockchain revolutionizing financial services? Now, we've got an excellent panel for you today, some great panel members. First of all, though, your role as our Blockchain Summit audience. We want your questions, we want your thoughts, and we want your opinions. Please pop them in the chat at the bottom, and we'll bring them into play throughout today's discussion. Okay, on to our visionary panelists. It's my pleasure to introduce the Blockchain Summit. We have Andra Morte of AXA. Hello, Andra. We've got Soren Mortensen of IBM. Hello, Soren. We've got Radislav Albrecht of Bitbond. Hi. And we should have JJ Zabalos of Santander. JJ's just been tied over for the moment, so he'll hopefully be joining us very soon. Now, in our moderator seat, we also have Elizabeth Noble of European Banking Association. Hello, Elizabeth. Okay, so let's crack on. First question, and we've got a lot of ground to cover. Where are we seeing tangible impacts of blockchain across financial services? Radislav, welcome to Blockchain Summit. This first question to you, please. So, great question. Thank you. Of course, there has been a lot of hype, you could say, around blockchain. So, um, it's actually quite important to ask whether there are real tangible impacts. And I think you can already see quite a few today. Um, and most of what we see comes in the capital market space, um, in um, areas of tokenization and digital asset custody. Um, when you issue assets such as securities or other financial assets, so for example, bonds, equities, funds. Um, and when you do that in the kind of legacy type of way through a CSD, through a central securities depository, then the settlement process uh, normally takes several days um, and is relatively inefficient and expensive. Um, and some banks, some financial services providers already today rely on tokenization um, to issue in the primary issuance of financial assets such as bonds. Um, last year, for example, Standard Chartered had utilized technology that we um, produced as Bitbond in order to tokenize a $185 million bond um, in Southeast Asia. Or at the beginning of this year, Vonovia, a DAX 30 company with over 30 billion uh, market cap, issued a tokenized bond where also our technology was used. Um, and so here, they utilize the faster settlement, um, the reduced back office and admin costs, and the reduced counterparty risk um, in settlement transactions. And I think these are really tangible advantages that you know market participants and financial services providers already leverage today. Excellent. Thank you very much, Radislav. Uh, some great tangible benefits that 
uh, Radoslav's given us there. Uh, Andra, welcome to Blockchain Summit. If we come to you and your position at AXA, um, tangible benefits, benefits you see, please. First of all, I think that blockchain is, is here to stay. It's, um, I think we are almost over this, this whole hype. And I think it will uh, fundamentally change the, the well, operations, Elizabeth, the no. assets and um, trade fine and uh, products of the financial industry. So I think all these three aspects we are already seeing that, that um, have been impacted. Um, on the monetary system side, I would, I would just go on on what um, Vladislav just said. One probably needs to start quickly. Um, Did you say yes? Yeah. With, with the monetary systems where we currently see all the central banks developing uh, central bank digital currencies. Yet despite the attempts uh, to ban, we see Bitcoin clearly thriving in, in countries like Nigeria, where most of the trade and trade finance is now based on Bitcoin. On the other side, we see on the exchange um, sides, um, on the exchanges, um, a, a, a big impact of DLT. Looking here at Switzerland, um, we are expecting this year the launch of the Swiss Digital Exchange, a subsidiary of uh, six exchange. And this will be a major milestone where we will uh, see tokenized equity and tokenized bonds. So this is also a second major impact. And the third, in terms of operations and products, um, yeah, just taking the example that was just mentioned, uh, tokenized uh, funds, tokenized bonds. I think the complete nightmare of, of fund administration is going away uh, by tokenization fund units, uh, where a token is simply representing an LP ownership. So tokenization will enable evergreen structure and the possibility of secondary markets. Thank you very much for Andra. Some, uh, some really positive um, signs to see then. Um, Elizabeth, Welcome to, to Blockchain Summit. I know you've got a, a point also to make on this, please. Yeah, I mean, from um, our perspective at the European Banking Authority, I think we would very much agree with the, the previous comments about sort of moving a bit beyond the hype to the reality now, where we're seeing not only experimentation, but also now real rollouts of this technology and really across a wide range of use cases. So. Of course, um, securities markets applications are, are well known. Um, we have, of course, the uh, trade finance context. We have the cross-border payments context. We have green bond issuance. And so really, we're seeing now the proliferation across the sector. And of course, that comes with a lot of opportunity, um, speed, reduced cost, um, bringing around a, a wider range of stakeholders and so on. Um, but it also comes with a degree of risk, and we might talk about that uh, shortly. But I think at this stage, we're very much with a view to monitoring and, and supporting to allow for um, continued experimentation. And of course, then we get to the sort of scale up question, but where we can scale up as quickly as possible to really leverage those efficiency gains. Thanks very much, Elizabeth. Um, Soren, I think, I think actually you've got something else to add to this before, before we move on. Um, if, I come, if I come to you now, if, that, if, if I can. Sure. Um, very, very quickly. I mean, one of the domain, besides the tokenization and digital assets, which I fully agree with, um, uh, another domain where we have seen uh, huge benefits in financial markets from, from uh, uh, blockchain is around what I would call 
manual and paper intensive uh, processes. So Elizabeth mentioned uh, trade finance, um, and, and certainly uh, we, we have seen uh, uh, trade finance uh, networks coming up uh, and trade and export finance, where basically blockchain is eliminating the, the paper trail and creating a much more efficient, uh, uh, cost efficient and, and transparent process. Um, also in the domain of bank guarantees, uh, so there was a lot of press last week uh, on uh, the Ligon uh, network that has gone live in Australia, um, where you basically uh, diminishing the, or reducing the risk uh, around bank guarantees, around fraud, um, between corporates, their banks and, and uh, the real estate, uh, estate owners. So we, we, we certainly see very, very tangible benefits in processes that are today, today very, very uh, uh, manual and, and paper in intensive um, on top of the growth in uh, the digital assets and tokenization, creating much more efficient markets. Thank you very much, Soren. Thanks very much for adding, adding to that. I appreciate that. Um, right, you know, guys, I just wanted a quick note for our audience at home. This is, this is your discussion. Uh, get your questions in. Pop them in the chat. We'll bring them into play. Anything that you've got. We've got these speakers here for 45 minutes. There's some exceptional names here, and we really want to get your questions in front of them. Okay, so uh, moving on. Uh, what are the challenges of moving from proof of concept to large-scale rollout in a, in a blockchain project? Soran, I know we just ended on you, but let's come back to you. Um, if you. If you could answer that one for, for me, please. Sure. Um, I, I, I mean, I see proof of concept as a throwaway. Uh, they're just that. Uh, they're proof of uh, proof of concept. Uh, once you need to move from that level into uh, a more real project, um, there's many many factors that need to uh, be taken into consideration. A uh, is the business case there. Yeah. Are the cost of the project uh, too punitive? Uh, will they meet uh, uh, tangible ben uh, benefits? Um, secondly, um, one of the things that we see quite often um, is um, the, non the importance of the non-functional um, uh, requirements. And by non-functional, I mean volume requirements, uh, speed requirements, uh, security requirements, uh, data storage requirements, all the, all, all the non-functional, um, which um, um, are, are more problematic than, than if you just have a prototype that you can uh, uh, demo. Um, thirdly, it's about uh, uh, specifically uh, networks, is about agreeing standards amongst the participants uh, and standards that can be uh, legally uh, enforced, um, and certainly that is a very time-consuming and challenging uh, pro uh, process, especially if you are creating a consortium of multiple uh, 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 participants. Um, and so when we're looking at that, we, we're seeing the, the combination of the business case, the non-functional requirements, the standards, um, and actually seeing, is it really going to meet, uh, uh, taking into uh, consideration all these factors, is it really going to meet uh, uh, the objectives? Thank you very much for that, Soren. Um, Andra, the tangible, tangible impacts of blockchain um, for you as well, please? 
Um, yeah, so the challenging of, of moving from, from um, POC to large-scale rollout, I think from our perspective, we, um, from, from AXA Switzerland's perspective, um, looking at uh, our car dossier use case that we, we, which we are productive, I think um, some of the challenges were mentioned by Soren, so I'll build on that. I think um, I would add also the business value for the customer um, also as a challenge. If uh, if we don't, if the business value is not really there, then um, of course we won't see the expected scaling, and then we'll obviously have to kill the the use case. Um, and I think the governance is very important. We have uh, right now um, um, ecosystem use case where a lot of uh, partners um, are are participating um, to this blockchain ecosystem, and um, if you don't have um, relative uh, yeah streamlined governance it's it's very hard to scale it up um, the trust needs to be um, needs to to be um, settled by by the use of blockchain but at the same time you know we have a lot of discussions what data are you gonna exchange um, um, who is uh, who is exchanging what data with whom so I think um, that and that aspect of governance is really essential also for, for scaling up our use cases. Thank you very much, Andra. So, so, you know, key points there, I think Andra said, was trust, regulation, and governance. At this point, I'll bring in Elizabeth again. Elizabeth, if I come back to you, I, I think you've got another point to make on this, please. Yeah, so I would agree that um, there may be aspects of the regulatory framework that could pose some sort of challenge and i think i would make that as a very much a sort of international statement where for many of these applications there is a um, ambition to scale cross-border but there may be slight divergences in terms of um, the way in which regulation accommodates the use of this type of technology for instance um, it may offer more efficient risk management processes but regulation may foresee a more traditional process, for instance, around book entry or, or something like this. So there, there may be slight tweaks around the fringes where the regulation itself needs to slightly adjust to accommodate the application of, of this new technology and for that to be done at a sort of purely international level so that there is that capacity to scale cross-border the other point, which is not so much about regulation, but one we see come up quite often is more of supervision, which is a sort of issue where a supervisor may have a different tolerance or acceptance around the use of an innovative technology. So the challenge to scaling may not come from the regulation, but it may come from perhaps a sort of perception of the supervisor around the reliability of the technology or perhaps they, they don't have a familiarity with the opportunities and therefore they're a little bit reluctant to to see it um, being rolled out uh, in a particular business application so something we work hard to do at the European Banking Authority is to promote a consistency of understanding of the technologies and therefore a consistency around acceptance of the technology so that we don't have that inadvertent barrier to scaling. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Thank you very much, guys. That's a really good, great answers on that, um, on that question there. Uh, everyone at home, our audience, our Blockchain Summit audience, get your questions in for us, pop them in the chat, we'll bring them in. Any opinions you have, any thoughts you want to share? 
please do make yourselves known. Okay, next question. How do the costs of large-scale blockchain implementation stack up against real-world benefits? Radislav, uh, at this point, we'll, we'll come back to you. Your, your thoughts on this question, please. Yeah. Um, so we, as Bitbond, we have experience with both smaller banks that are relatively agile and that, you know, you know, the C-level uh, leadership makes a decision and then, you know, a week later they start with an implementation and the implementation might take, might take them two or three months and then something is rolled out. I mean, th these are relatively simple settings where um, you have a relatively narrow set of services, maybe just one or two services, and then you can see the benefits probably within six months or so and your change costs are you know, relatively easy to calculate and, and uh, they amortize also relatively quickly. Now, when, when we talk about large-scale implementations at, at larger institutions, we have uh, um, uh, AXA or, or IBM here. Of course, these things don't uh, take as quickly and are not so easy to calculate. And therefore, the, the previous question that we had, how do we get from a POC to a more uh, productive use is actually really, really important. Um, and, and what needs to be done, in, in my experience, we're currently working with one of Germany's largest banks on, on a rollout of a DLT-based capital market settlement. Um, what, what needs to be done is, of course, you need proper planning, probably a relatively trivial thing to say, um, but it's actually much harder to implement than, than, than you may think, right? So you need to know which systems are affected um, and, and how long will it take you to make that change. And then as you roll it out, the, the cost benefit and the increased efficiency won't materialize within one or two months. That's, uh, um, you, you have to take a more long-term perspective on that where over the course of maybe a year you have a whole change process and then within two to three years you will materialize the the, the benefits so we this, this is pretty much a context where you have to think more long term um, uh, which of course is not always easy because you want to see quick results um, but if you make a change in pretty much your entire settlement infrastructure, then this is going to take some time um, and the market also needs to go along with you because typically you're not the only market participant that can set a standard, but you should coordinate that as well. So there's a lot of things to consider and this again brings me back to the uh, topic of planning. Um, of course, you cannot foresee the future perfectly and this will never be possible. You won't be able to rule out all the risks, but you have to implement some good planning and ask yourself, which are the use cases, which are the benefits that I really want to see and how do they look like on a realistic time scale? And that I think are, are factors that can bring an implementation to success where you can actually benefit from the increased efficiencies and, and reduced costs that, uh, that DLT will ultimately bring. Thanks very much, Radislav. Uh, really thorough answer there. I really appreciate that. Um, Andra, cost versus benefits. How do they stack up in your experience? Well, I, I also fully agree with what um, Radislav just said. Um, I would add, I, will, I, will, I would emphasize the, the innovation aspect a little bit more. So we have to acknowledge the fact that in the case of uh, blockchain implementation, large-scale blockchain implementation, we have to do with pure innovation. And innovation implies new infrastructure costs, 
um, and at the same time solving problems, like um, Radoslav just said, solving problems that we might not have encountered before. So we don't know how long the solving of these problems will take. So planning, yeah, it's good, but I'm not, I'm not sure if that will be accurate. And that's, this also drives up the, the, the costs, right? I think the decisive question is, do we deliver business value? At the end, this is what we need to, to weigh up. Um, business value against costs. And what I would also um, think it's very important to consider is the cost of a permissioned uh, blockchain versus the cost of a permissionless uh, blockchain. These, uh, these, these costs can be very different um, depending on, on which blockchain we, we want to adopt for our large scale solution. So that is also uh, important to think about. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Andra. Um, Soren, if we, if we come to you, I, I noticed you were sat there listening very intently to what Andra was saying there. Uh, points from you, please. Yeah, uh, a couple of points. Uh, uh, I, th I think uh, some of the biggest uh, use cases are internally uh, in the large organizations um, in terms of benefits, cost benefits, um, which are then difficult to, to assess uh, how, how, uh, how much benefit has, for example, JP Morgan had through, the, to, uh, through uh, leveraging the JP Morgan coin or HSBC uh, leveraging FX everywhere, uh, which are large scale proje uh, projects that have been implemented two or three years ago. Um, and uh, the organization is reaping benefits from it, but of course they're not publishing it. Um, it is clear that uh, blockchain has uh, the ability to fundamentally change financial markets in many ways. Um, we look at uh, the large-scale uh, implementation that Vladislav was uh, uh, mentioning, and the reality here is you have to be in there for the long term. This is not something where you will have a return on investment within a year, especially when, when you're creating, uh, uh, say, for example, a new market infrastructure. It takes time. And if we look at, for example, in the European market, how long it took, for example, to uh, uh, to implement something, uh, uh, to implement like T2S, um, uh, uh, rolling out a blockchain infrastructure uh, to to compete with T2S or, or make it much more efficient uh, will take time, will be difficult, will be costly, um, and uh, the return on investment uh, will be there, but uh, it will be a, a much, much longer uh, horizon. It is clear that, uh, uh, what's it called, um, we have seen from other industries, cost reductions, process efficiencies um, uh, from these large uh, uh, scale uh, 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 blockchain implementation. And to a certain extent in financial markets uh, as well. Um, but um, uh, today, uh, I would say uh, the, the large scale uh, uh, industry-wide um, uh, 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 networks are far and few between in financial markets, and it's and they're still too young um, uh, to really assess the full benefit that they have provided uh, 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 to the industry. But it is clear that 
for example, in trade finance, uh, automating, digitalizing the processes, getting rid of the the paperwork, minimizing risk, uh, and what have you, as I mentioned before, uh, is a tangible benefit of, of the networks. Thank you very much, Soren. Uh, I know this has sparked some debate in the chat. Elizabeth, if we, if we bring you in now with, with uh, some questions you might have, please. Yeah, so one really interesting question, um, which is whether um, blockchain technology is actually the technology as the solution. So um, quite a lot of audience members sort of reflecting on the fact that, yes, we have had this hype story. We have now got plenty of cases of this technology being rolled out in practice. But are there other technologies that offer similar benefits and perhaps are easier or cheaper to scale up? So I think maybe, Soren, to you first on, on that question, what do you think about uh, blockchain versus other options? up on that one. <laughs> uh, no, um, I, I would say blockchain has its use. There's been a lot of hype uh, 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 around blockchain. Um, uh, uh, and this is this has been a discussion even from day one, uh, could the benefits from blockchain uh, be achieved through more uh, 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 traditional uh, uh, technologies. And when, when we look at it, I think um, when we see large-scale networks, it's not just blockchain. It is a combination of blockchain and other technologies, um, uh, each serving their own unique purpose. Um, and I think it's, it's uh, coming down to um, uh, leveraging uh, and, and architecting these networks so that you optimize the usage of blockchain. But I would say you're also always combining it with, with, with other technology. So it's not the technology to, to uh, resolve all the world's uh, uh, problems, but it is a technology that serves its purpose, um, especially to create what I would say uh, a single source of data that can be shared by multiple uh, uh, parties and so multiple parties can see the same source of data, uh, create uh, transparency, uh, around that, um, I think it's a it's a key element uh, of blockchain, where and especially where we're using it uh, quite substantially, um, is around uh, the single source of data, creating more efficient processes, um, and more transparency uh, in in the process. But I would always say that. Uh, when you create these large-scale uh, networks, it will be a combination of multiple uh, technology and blockchain will serve its purpose uh, in creating that secure, unique, uh, uh, trusted uh, version of data that can be viewed by multiple parties uh, on, on, on a large-scale network. Put the point also to you. So, Sora sort of focused on this multi layered effect uh, as the base technologies, but also then the sort of multiple uses to which the technology can then be applied. So, sort of a modular build on, for, for instance. Um, what are your perspectives around the use of uh, blockchain versus other technologies? That was for Andra. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Um, yeah, I think I think it's. Um, I I would agree with what Sora just said. Um, it's 
that this technology is not solving all the problems that we that we need to solve from a technological point of view. Um, yeah, just think of AI. You cannot build models uh, um, and train the models like like we could do it with machine learning algorithms and so on. So um, I I totally agree with Soren. We need we need a combination of technologies. And at the end, I I wouldn't put so much the technology in the at the forefront, I think the use case is important. We we uh, we need to understand that we we don't have to be technology driven, but use case driven, and then think from the use case perspective: what do uh, with which technology can we implement the the use case? Is it uh, is it a trust problem that we need to solve? Do we need need to um, um, have a more efficient system? Do we need to digitalize something? Do we need to predict something? Uh, do we need to um, have more liquidity uh, by by implementing our use case and all these kinds of um, questions we need to ask? So yeah, start with the use case and not with the technology. It's yeah. Thank you very much uh, for the answer, Andra. Thank you very much, Elizabeth, for the questions and and to you at home for those questions. Keep them coming in for us. Um, at this point, I know JJ is with us. JJ Zabalos from Santander. Welcome to Blockchain Summit. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm going to come to you straight away with this question. Okay? Uh, can any lessons be learned from blockchain use cases across other sectors? JJ, welcome. Um, thank you. I was encountering technological problems. It's, 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 it's funny that we, we digital guys, we always struggle. Uh, so yeah, I would say that the lessons learned uh, have already been commented or touched uh, briefly on, on my, my colleagues here in the panel. It's more and more about the use case and we banks and I think the rest of the industries, we have no time to continue experimenting. It has to be things that really matter, things that are really and are really meaningful and are really making impact. Uh, so when it comes to use cases, have to be use cases that you can implement at scale in order to to uh, to, to 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 benefit from um, from the efficiencies or from an, your new revenue sources that are out there to, to 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 tap or to tackle them through blockchain. In our case, lessons learned would be don't put the technology first. Protocols are more and more commoditized nowadays. So it's not, so in, 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 in an organization as we are, we should, we should avoid technological discussions about whether to use Corda or whether to use Hyperledger, whether to use Quorum. I think this is not the discussion. The proper discussion is where, where to implement those and how can we make the processes coexist, the traditional processes and the new processes are, uh, around or under blockchain in a, in a smooth transition from the old world to the new world. Uh, imagine, for example, the type of use case that is very common nowadays and that we tackled maybe a couple of years ago, which is all that deals with digital assets and tokenization for fixed income in the capital markets space or uh, other 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 interesting instruments that you can tackle, which is equities or derivatives. Uh, for a certain period of time, you have to be able to afford running two processes, two 
uh, technological stacks to um, full processes end-to-end -end in, in a bank scale um, fashion. And this is not affordable to everyone out there. Uh, you know, we would prefer, of course, to jump all in to a new process and forget about the old one, but it's, it's not the reality. The regulators are not going to allow you. The clients are not even willing to do that. It's too much risk. So running the two processes in parallel, this one is kind of a stretch, and this is kind of a lesson learned that if you, if you don't want to, 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 to do that, you better forget about blockchain because blockchain is not happening as fast as we, as we, as we would like. Uh, but for sure, the, the, the main lesson learned, I would say, is forget about the technological discussion because the technology is there, the technology really works, and focus on the use case and the adoption. Thank you very much, JJ. Great to have you with us and great to hear your, your thoughts on that question. Um, Soren, if we come to you, IBM being a, a global powerhouse that spans many, many different sectors, um, lessons to be learned that the finance community can benefit from at all? Absolutely. Um, uh, I'll give you an example which is called TradeLens and how blockchain networks evolve over time. So IBM partnered with uh, Maersk, uh, the Danish um, the global uh, carrier, uh, to basically create a blockchain network so that Maersk could track uh, their shipping containers across the globe. So this was about uh, signing up ports and terminals and what have you uh, to track uh, the MERS containers. And, and that went into production in December 2018. In 19, um, IBM and Maersk uh, still uh, as partners agreed to sign up more of the global carriers. Um, so we ended up uh, having uh, five of the top six uh, global carriers, plus a whole stream of other types of carriers on, on the platform. So the platform evolved uh, with more and more market uh, uh, participants still focusing on uh, uh, logistics and being able to track uh, uh, the, the containers across uh, uh, the globe. Today, TradeLens have over 60% of, uh, is tracking over 60% of global trade, and you have um, the members of the ecosystem, there's over 600 ports and terminals, for example, um, have published more than several billion uh, trade events, as well as millions and millions of, of supporting uh, trade documents. Um, once that has been put into place, uh, financial institutions have started looking at this. And they've started looking at this and saying, how can we leverage uh, that? Uh, how can we leverage the data which is being generated and the tracking uh, of, um, of, of these um, um, uh, containers and, and the goods uh, therein? And uh, so initially uh, we saw a, a growth in interest from financial institutions to look at the data um, and mainly to automate uh, their trade finance processes, whether they were credit processes, compliance processes, or uh, operational processes. Um, and uh, for example, Standard Chartered uh, uh, worked with us to create something called the Bill of Lading, which is the document that describes what's inside a container. Um, so verifying uh, the bill of lading uh, at, at, at source, which uh, had uh, tremendous uh, uh, 
um, a tremendous, uh, what's it called, benefits for trade finance operations. Now, uh, moving even further and evolving even further, we have worked with institutions to create uh, an e-bill of lading, um, which is where all the participants of the network uh, can go in and see the same uh, documents. And that has the benefit uh, uh, that you, uh, you can change, and, and certain institutions are looking at changing, uh, for example, their credit processes, because you can now go down and look at a, a credit on the individual shipment and, and the goods uh, therein, and basically track the shipment from source uh, to car, uh, target during its life cycle, so that you have full monitoring uh, of the shipment. And, and this is basically showing that um, whilst you had a network which was originally designed uh, for logistics and improving uh, uh, logistics, and which it did, um, it has multiple purposes. And I see personally um, the finance industry um, having to look at other industries and seeing how they can leverage uh, the networks that are being built in other industries, especially around uh, a supply chain, to improve their own processes, to make, to create more standard, uh, not standardized, but create more uh, customer-centric and specific uh, financial uh, services, uh, leveraging the data that is collected by these many many networks uh, that are coming up uh, uh, around the globe. So I do see um, uh, that the finance industry has to monitor what's happening in other in industries so that they can improve the way they interact with the clients and providing financial services to their clients. Thank you very much, Soren. Really interesting insight on the trade lens uh, case study there. Um, Andrew, I know you have something else to add to this. If I come to you now, please, on, on that question. Yeah, I would, I would uh, bring in another example also um, for making a point how, how we can learn to, to become more efficient. Um, and um, my example is from the carb, carbon credit market. I think... Um, yeah, the carbon credits market is, is becoming more and more important also in the FS industry. By nature, um, more on, um, yeah, by nature, this market is, is, is not a transparent uh, market depending on intermediaries. But I think uh, projects like uh, Region Network are, are working on tokenizing carbon credits. And this is um, a great example how we can create a more efficient value chain. Um, here, um, in, in this, uh, for this project, region network blockchain can play out all elements um, of the value chain. So we collect data over oracles, oracle services like uh, satellite data and IoT data. Then uh, we have uh, the, the, the data that is provided to the smart contracts for process automation. And then we finally, we see uh, the trading of tokenized carbon credits on secondary markets. So, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a great example. I would say we can all learn from, from this very efficient value chain. And we all know how important ESGs is, are becoming uh, for the financial industry and DLT can make uh, these markets just more efficient. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you for that, that level of insight as well. That's great. Um, Elizabeth, I think we've got some questions in the chat or we've got a point to make. If you could bring that in now, please. 
Yeah, thanks, Mark. So our audience seems um, very taken with this question of interoperability and what can be done to overcome that challenge, because it seems to be quite um, a present one looking at lots of different use cases. So so what can we do to, to overcome it? So Redislav, maybe to you on this point, um, what do you think the sort of solutions are? I mean, technology working together within the industry, that's that's one option. But is there something we can do as international standard setters or as, as regulatory authorities on this point? So maybe we come to you first and then Soren uh, for your reflections also on this point. Thank you. Yeah, very happy to, to elaborate uh, based on uh, our experience on this. Um, I want to give one um, completely different example, the example of email. Um, we take email for granted today, and when we exchange business cards in the real world or in the digital world, and there's an email address on that, then we don't start a technical discussion about what is the underlying protocol? Do I have to use an iPhone? Do I have to use an Android phone or a Windows computer? We just know it's an email address, and I can send you a message. It will arrive there in, in a matter of seconds and I don't have to care about anything else. Um, although everybody can use a different email server, one can use uh, Microsoft Exchange or you can use uh, Google or whatever you want, I don't even need to know that. Um, and that's extremely powerful. We just, you know, we're just so used to it, we don't even uh, question that anymore. Now, in, in, the, in the world of asset settlement, for example, where you would utilize blockchain, we could arrive at a very similar um, place in the world where we can exchange an asset with each other instantaneously at almost zero transaction costs um, and not even think about technological details. However, that's not where we are today yet because there are several different protocols, uh, different technological standards. Um, however, I believe that only if we narrow down the set of protocols to maybe one, two, maximum three protocols, um, we will live in a world where we can actually utilize all of the benefits that blockchain promises. Um, and uh, here to your question as a standard setter, um, it, it's, it's a pretty difficult one because on the one hand, if the regulator said, well, please use this protocol and that's the standard and everybody use it, the big advantage is we would have a great deal of interoperability. We wouldn't even have to think about interoperability, just like we don't think about it in the world of email communication. Um, However, the disadvantage if the regulator sets the standard is that you may see monopolistic structures emerging um, and the organizations behind such a protocol or behind uh, such a technology would have a monopolistic status in the market, which is something that we don't necessarily want. Um, what I think is uh, if, if the EBA or similar institutions can foster the communication between market participants so that market participants test out maybe two or three different approaches and then agree on one um, in, a, in a, I would say, moderated process. I think that is a, that is a scenario that I uh, personally would prefer based on the experience that I have. But for sure, we will only get to, um, you know, benefit from all the promises that, you know, technologies in general make if we achieve a certain level of standardization in the market. Thank you very much. I think that's a really interesting perspective. Now, I know we're almost out of time. So, Soren, very briefly, if you could just uh, provide your reflections on this point, and then I'll maybe just wrap up with what we're actually already doing at the European level uh, to, to address this point. Yeah. Um, 
personally, I slightly disagree with regulators having to set technology uh, standards and what have you. But I think we, we are focusing and we realize that um, there has been many, many networks that has been built. For example, in trade finance, you have WeTrade on Hyperledger, you have got Marco Polo uh, on, 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 on Corda. The key issue here is not the technology. So, um, so creating interoperability between ledgers uh, and networks is the key. Uh, people should not uh, uh, be uh, dependent on a specific uh, technology. It needs to be interoperable across uh, any technology choice. Um, and, and this is where we, we are focusing our, our, our efforts in terms of uh, ensuring that multiple uh, networks built on multiple fabrics uh, can talk together. And I think that's uh, give, having the flexibility around that uh, is essential as opposed to uh, deciding you must go with a specific type of technology. Over to you, Elizabeth. Thank you very much. And um, I would say that's actually fully in line with our our regulatory approach at the European level, which is one of technological neutrality. So it's not for us to pick the winners or losers in terms of technology solutions, but of course we do want to remove obstacles to innovation and support scaling up. So for this purpose, we have a few initiatives underway. One is called the European Forum for Innovation Facilitators, which is a essentially round table of the sandboxes and innovation hubs within the European Union to allow for a closer dialogue between supervisors on innovation related issues and also with industry so that we bridge that knowledge gap I referred to before. But beyond that, we're actually also developing legislative um, proposals in this area where for blockchain itself, we would have a designated experimentation framework for use cases in the, the securities and market space because we do want to explore this question of, are there regulatory barriers and how should we overcome those? So um, I think with that, Mark, I'll hand back to you to say, I think we're clearly well beyond the FAD stage and really into the true reality of, of seeing this technology come to life in the financial sector and of course beyond. Thank you. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Um, some really good points made there. I, I could see in the background everyone nodding along to the, the discussions being made, so which is great. Um, given that we're nearly on time, uh, given that JJ joined us a little bit late, I've just got one more question I want to try and fit in if we can, just so we can hear a bit more from JJ. Um, question is, future or fad? Is blockchain a genuine game changer? And how will DLT usage develop over the next five to ten years? I guess it's a bit of a mouthful of a question, JJ, but two parts to that. Is it a game changer? And will distributed ledger tech develop over the next five to ten years? I think it's a game changer, or it has been. Uh, we have several several use cases here at scale and into production. I would say that banks, we jumped into blockchain maybe in the wrong moment. So we had to afford maybe, you know, three, four, five years of pilgrimage in the desert. So uh, um, it was difficult to justify even in the eyes of the management all these investments. And we started from the payments and liquidity and these type of things, which were totally immature and not up, not up to scale. And I know what I'm talking about because I built myself the constructs that, 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 we, that we had back in the day. 
when it deals with the you know peer-to-peer -peer payments, liquidity, cash pooling, uh, cash management, things like that. Now I'm more passionate and I'm more faithful in all that all the opportunity that we have in front of us, and actually the clients and the, our customers and our counterparts are asking for. I would say they are yelling for all the the digital assets programs and all that the the the, the opportunity that beholds in the uh, tokenization for new ways of um, capital rising new ways of accessing better to capital markets that historically has been closed to the big players i see a way of democratizing the access to capital markets and actually in europe we have the fc program with all the commercial uh, commercial paper and different wrappers for smes that now under all the COVID situation and the pandemics had a really bad time when uh, when looking for 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 financing and this is where I see the market going. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, uh, I see more and more companies, uh, interesting ideas, startups, and even incumbents launching their digital asset programs, uh, digital custody, key custody, uh, tokens custody. Uh, so I see the trend really coming and, and, and you, we would better be prepared because otherwise we're going to lose, to lose this train. And of course, I see stable coins, CBDCs and, and, and the rest as interesting trends. And uh, let's see what's happened with the finality project that we really placed, best, placed, placed our bets there, but it, it still has to happen. So I see in the future, I see these two things, digital, digital assets and stable coins together. Excellent. Thank you so much, JJ. Uh, I think we're bang on time, so we need to wrap it up there. Um, thank you so much to our panelists for joining us today, to Andra, to JJ, to Soren, to Radislav, and to Elizabeth for moderating today. Thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate your participation. Thank you so much to you, our audience, as well, for tuning in. This is the first of four discussions over the next two days. The next discussion we've got for you is at 2 p.m. GMT, the DeFi difference. How will decentralized or open finance continue to disrupt? We really hope you can join us. If you want to carry on the discussion, then you can do so. You can join the Slack channel on the page that you're viewing on now. Join that and we can post the, post the questions and carry on the discussion there. Thank you so much for your time and we'll see you a bit later on today. Thank you. You've been tuned into the Money Next podcast series. If you'd like to listen to more from our Blockchain Summit or any of our other live events, please visit our Money Next TV platform, where you can sign up for our live events and listen in to more insights and on-demand content. Thanks so much.